Uh, good morning, everyone, and a special welcome if you're visiting with us this morning. Just a reminder, it's time for Corner Pebble to go out. So if you have young children um, and uh, they are standing up the back there, they're ready to go out now. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Um, we uh, made a slight change to the corner post. As Michael said at the start of the service, the Bible reading is not in your corner post. Um, we're going back to Pew Bibles. There's a few reasons for that. It's good to be able to, um, I think, see the Bible on the printed page. And also, throughout the service, sometimes we look at other passages in the Bible as well. And so it's good to be able to turn up to them. Um, just before we start um, and read God's word together today, there's just... One thing on my heart I want to say as we come, uh, as we meet and as we particularly hear from God's word, that is, I don't know what sort of week that you've had, um, how you're feeling at the moment, even this morning spiritually. Um, but there's one truth which I think has got to stand at the heart of our meeting together. Uh, and that is the truth of the gospel, that God loves us, that he died for us. Um, and that he has reconciled us to himself. And for me, there's no better verse in the Bible which uh, really ex exemplifies that truth than Lamentations chapter 3, and it says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. What a great promise from God's word this morning. As we meet together this morning as his people, his mercies are new. So as we come and as we look at God's word together from this part of scripture, let's be reminded of God's great love for us in Jesus. And, uh, and of his great forgiveness uh, provided for us through the cross. So I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 11 now, from verse 1. And this is God's word. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. However many years a man may live, 
Let him, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigour are meaningless. Let's pray. Father, what a great word it is that we've just read from your word. Every part of your scripture is true and is faultless. And Father, we pray that as we come and as we sit at your feet now, that you would speak to us by your spirit through your word. That you would give us ears to hear, hearts that trust and obey. Father, we commit this time into your hands now and we ask for your blessing. For we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Every Christian has the inestimable blessing of having been reconciled to God. We have had our sins forgiven and we've been given the free gift of eternal life. And as such, we're now empowered by God's Spirit to be His witnesses to the nations, to bring others out of darkness and into His marvellous light. There's this great song by Michael Morrow, and he, that's actually the man that we uh, just sang about in the song just before the sermon. And it, but his song, this song in particular is called, We Belong to the Day. And in it he says this, We belong to the day. Let us journey in the light. Put on faith, put on love as our armour for our fight. And the promise of salvation in our eyes. On that day the proud will fall and the faithful rise. And then in the chorus it says this, Strong as a mighty rock, our refuge in the coming wrath, the heart of the bride belongs to Jesus. Jesus. The earth in its turning stops to marvel at the Son of God. And all of that day belongs to Jesus. Jesus. That's the essence of Christian faith. We've been saved from God's wrath and judgment. We've received salvation through the substitutionary act of atonement of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And as such, we are now to put on the gospel armour of faith, righteousness and love. To intercede before our Heavenly Father in prayer. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities, against the forces of evil in this dark world. What does it mean, though, to live in a way that is truly wise 
until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Well, that's the focus of this particular chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. For while life is ultimately hevel, that is, it's fleeting, transitory and passing away, it doesn't mean that we should simply give up. Nope, not at all. Rather, we are to use our time wisely because we know that everything we do will be brought to an account. And the way that Solomon addresses this is in three specific ways. The first is what it means to exercise wisdom in regards to our work. The second is what it means to live wisely in regards to our everyday living. And then the third way in which Solomon says wisdom should be exercised, and that is particularly pertinent to some of us here, is in our youth. Just take a look again with me at what it says in verses 1 to 2. There's actually a fair bit of debate as to what these verses actually mean. You see, some people think that it refers to being liberal with our generosity, whereas others think it's got more to do with taking a risk in business. And various versions of the Bible will translate the verse accordingly. For example, the ESV puts it like this, "'Cast your bread on the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, as I just said, there are a number of different ways that you could interpret this. The ESV goes down the line that it's about generosity. That if you give to others without expectation, that you will often be surprised that eventually something does come back. But while that's true in context, I think that the passage is urging us to do something much more practical. And that is, it's pushing us to take a risk in life, and especially in business. Or as we sometimes even say, proverbially, nothing ventured, nothing gained. To cast our bread upon the water then is to take a risk. And to engage in trading overseas, which is inherently risky, but nonetheless more financially profitable. And this is Solomon, this is something that Solomon himself engaged in. In 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22, we read this The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea, along with the ships of Haram. And once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes, and baboons. In keeping with this particular interpretation, giving your portion to seven or eight would mean spreading the risk over multiple vessels and not just one. That's why Solomon chose to have a fleet of trading ships and not just one particular vessel which might be lost in a storm. We sometimes say, don't we, don't put your eggs all in one basket, which is exactly what Solomon is saying here. Now, can I say this is something that I think we need to hear today, especially as evangelical Christians. And even though we claim to believe in God's sovereignty, 
where ironically I've found more often than not, risk averse. Because what we do is we hide behind our lack of belief in God's sovereignty to excuse our lack of courage or maybe even faith. Because let's face it, it takes a lot of courage to step out in faith. But friends, if you or I wait until there is absolutely no risk, then you and I wouldn't do anything. Because in this meaningless life under the sun, there is always going to be a danger that something's going to fail. But of this we can be sure. The one surefire way to succeed at failing is to never try at all. As one commentator I was reading put it, there are no guarantees in life except one. Inaction will guarantee failure. Just think of what it was like for the Israelites when they had to go into the promised land. Were there people who were dangerous and strong? Yes, there was. Just remember how after the spies came back from surveying the land, they reported to everybody that the people living there were of great size. In fact, they say this in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. They were completely overcome with fear at, can I say this, the legitimate opposition which the Lord intended for them to face. And as such... They rebelled and they refused to go in and conquer. All of which led, as we know, to an entire generation wandering around in the desert for another 40 years. You see, the Lord doesn't normally remove our opposition. But he gives us the grace to overcome it. The Lord, very rarely, he he does sometimes, but rarely does he remove the opposition. But he gives us the grace to overcome it. His plan is that we grow in spiritual maturity through experiencing difficult times. Just take a look at what Solomon goes on to say in verses 3 to 4 because they're intimately connected. For you see... We live, thank God, in a predictable world. In a world where if a tree falls down, it doesn't get back up again. Whether it's to the north or to the south, it doesn't matter. Everything follows a predictable and ordered pattern. And it's a wonderful blessing to live in such a world as that. Because could you imagine if it was different? You wouldn't be able to plan or do anything at all. But herein is also the problem. Precisely because we know how well-ordered and structured the world is can cause us to sometimes overthink things. We can be always looking to the wind or the clouds. That is, we're seeking exactly the right circumstances, 
before we proceed, before we'll step out in faith, before we'll do the thing that God has put on our heart to do. But once again, that can end up, that kind of overthinking things, can end up paralyzing us from doing anything at all. Especially in Tassie, where the weather is changing all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. As we saw last week from God's word, it's foolish to be reckless and to not consider what the consequences would be. I'm not saying be reckless. Jesus himself constantly warns us about counting the cost to see if we have enough funds to build the house or enough troops to wage war. But friends, if that's all you do, if you're only ever looking at your circumstances and your limitations, then you won't do anything at all. You see, exercising wisdom in work or in ministry, for that matter, means stepping out in faith. It means trusting God and, yes, taking a risk. Because while this world is well-ordered, there is still so much that is completely outside of our control. All of which brings us to the second aspect Solomon addresses, and that is wisdom in living. Now, verse 5 alone is such a beautiful description of the preciousness of all human life. The Holy Spirit inspires Solomon to write, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Clearly the thing, as we can hear right now, in the mother's womb, is a person. Because they're referred to as a child. Which means that from the moment of conception, they are a living, breathing human being. And this is why, you know, the act of abortion is such a horrible tragedy. Each and every life is a precious gift that is a wonderful mystery. But in the context of chapter 11, what Solomon is saying here is even more profound than that, as true as it is. Because what he's saying is that just as we really know, well, we don't really know how we're formed in our mother's womb, we don't really know what God's doing in the world. If we're humble enough to admit it, it really is a complete and utter mystery. Listen to how one particular commentator explains what Solomon is saying. He says, As a person gets up in the morning and faces the daily nagging question of activity or inactivity, he finds himself in a conflicted situation from from his perspective. On the one hand, he gets the general idea that he should not just sit around, that he should get to work on something and do his very best he can. On the other hand, he has no guarantee that his efforts will meet with any success. In the end, his project may be a complete flop and he may wonder why he even bothered. He might wind up thinking that his day could have been a lot more pleasant if he had just soaked up the sun rather than perspired under it. Success or failure? Only God knows. 
and he has not made any, um, any human being privy to the daily details of his plans for the universe and how an individual's daily efforts may or may not fit into those plans. Angie and I have a lot of good friends in northwest New South Wales who are in the middle of a devastating flood. For the past couple of years, they've worked something like, as farmers do, 70 hours more a week. And at the end of the financial year, most of them have end up owing the banks more than they did at the start. Sometimes I'll say to you, I don't know whether it would have been better to have just sold the water license that I had this year and done nothing. And the banks don't want the properties because really they're not worth much anymore. And so the farmers just keep getting into this vicious cycle of more and more debt. What should they do? In keeping with the truths contained in verse 1 and 2, they've diversified their farming. They now no longer only farm cotton. They farm sheep, wheat, cattle, more traditional crops. They've even done separate work to supplement their income, all of which is wise. But just because they work hard doesn't automatically mean that they're going to achieve success. And what is true for farmers is true for you too, isn't it? How often have you devoted yourself to a particular career only halfway through for it to go bankrupt or belly up? And it wasn't for lack of effort. It wasn't for lack of trying. Just because you work hard doesn't automatically mean it's going to achieve success. As a general principle, it's true. But it's not an absolute promise if you can appreciate the difference. Because here's what Solomon is saying. Life is a mystery. But once again, that doesn't mean that we should simply curl up into a ball of discouragement and despair. No, just take a look again at what Solomon says in verses 7 and 8. Because in the midst of the days of darkness, that is, those many hard times of difficulty and even despair, we should keep an eye out for the many little islands of joy that the Lord so faithfully provides for us. See, even on the darkest days, it's important to turn our faces to the sun and bask in God's goodness and love. to feel the blessing of his warmth and energy and be thankful. It doesn't matter what kind of hard week you have, even in the midst of that, aren't there those glimmers of hope? Aren't there those rays of blessing? Those promises of God's faithfulness to you? To thank him not just for the light and heat of the sun, but for the multiplicity of all of the other good things that he gives us. Because remember this, whatever you're going through right now, this too shall pass. The good and the bad. As Solomon says, not unexpectedly at the end of verse 8, all that comes is vanity. It's transitory. It's fleeting. 
Soon it will all be forgotten. Just listen again to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 18 of Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Isn't that incredible? Everything we go through in this life, every pain, every hardship, every disappointment, there's going to come a day when it will all be completely forgotten. Where you will look back and you'll go, that was nothing. Such will be the glory then that is revealed in us. When the glory which we will receive will be so much greater than everything else, in comparison, it will seem like what you're going through right now is nothing at all. That's how precious and wonderful a future the Lord has in store for us. In the meantime, though, we groan. We groan as though we're in the throes of giving birth to a child. But while the pain is real and terrible, our focus should be on what we will receive. The birth of a whole new creation. A place where there will be no more sun because the Lord God Almighty will be its light and there will be no more darkness at all. But that said, if you're young then what I've just said is probably not as relevant as if you're old. Because let's face it, the older you get, the more aches and pains you have. And the more stresses, the more disappointments you'll have experienced. But Solomon also has something specifically to say to those who are young here in verses 9 to 10. And it's not to make you feel guilty, but to enjoy and appreciate the season of life that you're in. He says this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now let me say something very specifically to all of the young people in our congregation at the moment. You are in a wonderful season of life. You are young, you're healthy, you're full of energy, Enjoy it. No, just don't enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Suck the morrow out of life and do all those things that you're free to do and you have the physical energy to do. There are so many things in this world to enjoy and because this life is fleeting, you should definitely enjoy them because in a little while, you won't be able to. You'll want to be boring and you'll want to watch the news. You'll want to read the newspaper. You won't feel like going for a swim. You'll just feel like sitting on the beach. When you go on holidays, rather than being adventurous, you'll think that the greatest thing on earth to ever be able to do is sleep. How boring is that? So enjoy life. Rejoice in whatever you want to do. You know, John Piper famously once wrote a book with a catchy title, Don't Waste Your Life. 
But Solomon, I think, would tweak that a bit and he would say, don't waste your youth. Don't waste the extra time and energy which the Lord has given you. Don't squander the season you're in by filling it with various kinds of wasteful, stupid things. And yes, if you're up to 2am gaming, that's stupid. Don't waste your youth. As Solomon warned us last week in chapter 10, don't give your strength to drunkenness or debauchery. Put your energy into things which are constructive and important. Invest in things which will be of benefit and blessing to other people. Go on short-term mission trips. Be disciplined with your saving. Be wise. Delight in all the good things that God has created. But at the same time, keep this biblical truth in mind. For all of these things... God will bring you into judgment. The Lord God Almighty will hold you to account. So don't be foolish. Yes, enjoy life and strength and health, but don't use them for immorality, laziness or greed. Solomon says in verse 10, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Just remember that even your youthful vitality is itself hevel. That is, it's fleeting and it's fading away. But what Solomon says here is pertinent for us all, isn't it? Because as we saw in our New Testament reading, there's going to come a day when all of us are going to be held to account. And on that day, the evidence as to whether we were foolish or wise is all about how we responded to Jesus, whether we did what his word says or whether we ignored it. Whether we take Jesus at his word, place our trust in him and do what his word says. Because one day, there's going to come a judgment. The one who builds their house on the rock hears the word of God and puts it into practice. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, let's get to work. Let's live for Jesus, even if it means that our lives are poured out as an offering. Let's live for Jesus. For what he has first done for us in laying down his life of absorbing the Father's anger at our sin and our rebellion and of giving us in exchange his spotless, perfect righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks so clearly to us of the challenges of life the blessings that are in life, as well as for its fleetingness. Lord, we pray that we would live for the day, that we would use the time and the talents that you've given us for your glory. Thank you for speaking to us through your word, Lord. And we pray that we wouldn't forget these truths, but as the Lord Jesus himself exhorts us and challenges us, we would put them into practice. Thank you for hearing our prayer, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.